Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great podcast. ESPN, in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions, presents The VC Show with eight-time NBA All-Star Vince Carter and co-host Roz Gold on Woody, who talk all things basketball with some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment. That's The VC Show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bobani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. It is Foxworth Friday. Dominique Foxworth, what's going on? Not much, man. It's, well, I, not much is not the right answer. It's always a lot going on, but I'm chilling <laughs> over here. I think that we're going to be able to get through this whole thing without talking about Kyrie Irving. Praise him. Yes, stop. <laughs> I do we not got, want to do that. Or I. Uh, we got some NFL to talk about, though. Uh, Go talk a little bit about some stuff with Tom Brady, see where it goes from there. But first, uh, you know, this is an interesting thing that happens periodically when you're at ESPN, which is the overlap between the employees and uh, the people that we cover, right? Sometimes you talking about like history about mm-hmm. things that have happened at various points in sports and it requires you to say something harsh about somebody <laughs> who is currently on the payroll, right? Like that, that, that happens. Some of our people have made mistakes at various points and not all of them are as cool about it as Dan Orlovsky talking yeah. about running out of the back of the end zone. You know what I'm saying? But this time we get what happens the other way, which is one day somebody's your coworker and then next day they're the coach, except, we did not expect that that would be the transition that was made by Jeff Saturday. Or at least I didn't. I wasn't in the circles that had maybe some idea that such a thing might be possible. I didn't either. Jeff and I are like really close friends since CBA negotiations. And I talked to him regularly throughout the week and we would go get dinner. So we would do get up together on Tuesdays. So we'd go get dinner on oh, Monday you, nights. Oh, that's who you hanging out with when you ain't hanging out with me? No, nah, you don't come all the way downtown. <laughs> Y'all never say nothing. I come down. You know, <laughs> it's every week. I'm there every week. You know the schedule. Jeff, I know. Hit me and I'd be, like, be like, yo, hit me up. And then you'd be uh, like, nah, I'll go to dinner with Jeff Saturday. <laughs> next next week, we do it then because Jeff dumped me. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, uh, he, he owed me a dinner too because last time I paid. So I'm taking my ass out to uh, St. Elmo's. Uh, whatever they got out in Indianapolis, <laughs> only restaurant anyone knows out there. And I'm going to get some of that shrimp cocktail on Jeff's dime. But yeah, I've talked to him a bunch since he got the job. And it's it's interesting. I I mean, I heard your podcast and everyone else has talked about all the other like big picture issues as it applies to this. But Jim Mercer doesn't have the credibility that or the reputation, I guess, that would suggest that he's like some forward thinker and this is a masterful stroke of finding this guy. Like Steve Kerr is the example that comes up that you grab a guy out of the booth uh, and put him in to your system and all of a sudden he, they're the best team in basketball. That seems not to be the case or not likely in football. Because like you see basketball, uh, I guess it was Fisher and Kidd and Nash. Like guys just get head coaching jobs. They just get it. And the game is not nearly as complex. So you can understand that. And it doesn't happen in football because football is like head coach is like a real management position. And part of that makes me feel like Jeff like has a chance to be good at this. 
Because the hard things about football, Jeff has those down. Like the interpersonal stuff and the buy-in and the relationships and the trust and all that stuff. Jeff is a natural at that. You know, anyone who's ever met Jeff Saturday, they feel like uh, like he's their best friend right off the bat. And he understands that stuff. Accountability. He has a credibility as a player. But I think what the toughest thing for him to do is going to be to create the buy-in around the coaches because their job is not going to change. And so if, if Jeff, if Jim Ursay is not making this decision, if somebody whom we like really respect their like decision-making is making this decision, the argument for it is bringing somebody from the outside in doesn't disrupt the like chain of command nearly as much. So the head coach, you can do that job a bunch of different ways. And one way is for sure the CEO overseeing everything, not making a ton of decisions. If you promote the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, that sort of stuff, then you have to change a bunch of stuff. So this is not a practice that I would like say should keep going and should always happen. But if there's a person, a player in a situation where I think it could potentially like not be a disaster, I think this is the one. Yeah, like, so I feel like on that coaching staff, the one man with grounds to be furious is John Fox. Exactly, because right? he wasn't coordinating nothing. <laughs> he wasn't coordinating anything. He's been to two Super Bowls. Right. Like, he might be the least respected two Super Bowl go-to coach uh, that there has ever been. And you almost feel like when a dude like that gets hired for that job, he's there just in case you need an interim, right? Yeah. Like, you put him in this right. amorphous position, senior defensive assistant, right? <laughs> He'd have edited at large, you know, like he need me to do this, he need me to do that. Okay, cool. I'm there. Like, that's the only guy I think got room to look up and be like, dude, what's going on? And you kind of answered what I was curious about is as a player, what you think when they bring a dude in off of the street? Because the thing is, it's not like they brought in somebody these dudes like grew up hearing about, you know, yeah. like Jeff Saturday is not a dude I think that resonates necessarily with those dudes, but my thought was also yours that interpersonally, if my interactions with Jeff are any indication, uh, Jeff going to be fine. And as I explained to people, Jeff know how to cross that aisle, but also knows how to do it without having to change how he kicks it on either side of the aisle. He just got it like that. Yeah, I mean, he, he's very genuine. And it just so happens genuine Jeff is something that is comfortable, that everyone is comfortable with. And like Jeff and I do not see eye to eye politically. But it doesn't like when we have those conversations, like it, it feels like whatever his opinions where we differ come from an honest place and it comes from a genuine place. And and that uh, that's the one place where I think we have like some sort of friction, like philosophically football wise, we don't have the friction. And like he was a leader in the unions, but he <laughs> ain't out here caping for all unions, if you get what I'm saying. Right. But his ability to do all of that. And I mean, the black coach thing comes up. Jeff Saturday is one of the biggest proponents called well. And I think his high school coach was black and he's a big proponent in that. And I think that that resonates. And some people grow up in football and only hang out with their position group, offensive linemen, and don't get that crossover appeal that that ain't Jeff. And like Jeff has college friends that was receivers, <laughs> if yeah. you know what I'm saying. So like, I think that all is going to work out well for him. We'll see how it works out. But this also feels like a tank job and that's not what Jeff's going to do, but it feels kind of like you don't want to like mar anyone else's reputation, roll yeah. Jeff in there for eight weeks, give him a big check and then let him get back to TV 
with like, frankly, more appeal, more fame, more credibility. It feels like a win-win for everybody, but I wouldn't be surprised if they win this weekend. And I wouldn't be surprised if he surprises people with a couple more wins. The Ellinger thing is going to be hard to overcome, but um, it might be my bias and my relationship bleeding in. But I do think that uh, he has a better chance of succeeding than most of us are giving him credit for. Well, I think one thing about Frank Wright that I don't think he's got enough credit for this year is the way we talk about the Colts. We don't talk about them like a team that's 3-5-1. and one. We talk about them like they're a team that is 0-8 through six games, right? They beat the Chiefs. It's like somewhere in there, Frank Reich was doing some things with what he had to manage to win some games, right? Like they are actually perhaps overachievers given where they are and given what their quarterback play is. And what Jeff is going to have to deal with I always say the thing about coaches like Jim Caldwell is actually a very good example of this. Jeff, Jim Caldwell, if you view it in totality, is obviously a very good coach, right? Man, but people forget about that year they went to the Super Bowl was we thought that was the year that the whole thing was going to be over for the Colts. And they started the year winning 14 games and had a legitimate chance to be undefeated all the way through the season if they didn't start pulling starters and doing all of that stuff, right? But what Caldwell wasn't the best at was the stuff that we saw on television. Do you go for this on fourth down type stuff, right? That, that is a thing about coaching is that we see a relatively small percentage of the actual job on TV. But it's not just stuff where the mistakes are most obvious. It's stuff where you person on couch can legitimately say, I would not have done that dumb thing that you did and be sincere about it. So it's going to be interesting to see how it's received with Saturday as this is a new thing, as he's balancing. Hey, man, how many timeouts do we have? Hey, man, who's this? Who's in the game right now? Hey, do we need to do this? Hey, what's the halftime adjustment that we need to make if that's even going to be his job and all that stuff, right? We are going to see those things, and people are going to be hypercritical of them if they so choose, because if you don't want to be critical, you can always make the very reasonable point that, you know, this dude ain't ever done this before, right? Oh, okay, right? Now, you yeah. can also make the very reasonable point that that's why you don't give him the job, but mm-hmm. we here now, right? Yeah. So there's that part. But I, there's something you said early that I have found to be interesting in this, and it's something that I understand, but I think that we might want to give a little different level of scrutiny to, which is the lack of faith that we have in Jim Ursay's football decision-making, mm-hmm. right? Now, having a lack of faith in Ursay's overall decision-making. Okay, we could do that, right? And it's a little bit of a weirdo on top of having a couple of problems here and there mm-hmm. that he's had to work his way through. But I think I said this on the last uh, pod, but if not, I'm going to say it now. Jim Ursay is fascinating to me because he is the rare second-generation owner that's actually done a good job. Like, when you think about it, he took over that team, I want to say in 97, but it's somewhere in the mid-90s. When they draft Peyton Manning in 98, he hires Bill Polian, and then look what happens, right? Mm -hmm. And then after the Manning thing fell apart and they had that one awful year, they were right back, right? Right. Now, he's made some shaky GM hires like Ryan Grigson. Yeah, not great. However, they did resuscitate that thing immediately with Ryan Grigson. Uh, the jury's out now on Chris Ballard on just how good he is, but there have been points where we have felt very good about the roster and the team that was here. 
Ursay was a dude who was a football man of sorts, right? Like he ran the operation when his dad was still alive. Um, now, of course, then they were not great. However, they had a really bad owner when uh, Jim Ursay was running football. His pops, whoo boy, piece of work. But in the end, I do feel like the dude has done a fairly decent job as someone who owns a franchise, a franchise that's got a decent reputation. They're actually Colts fans now who don't live in Indianapolis. That's a mm-hmm. crazy thought, but it's because yep. of the sum total of what's been done. The counterpoint, obviously, is this that he's Jim Ursay. And yeah. this seems like, wow, this is something that Jim Ursay seems like he would do. What a kooky move here. And it is kooky. But in that press conference, while he said all kinds of wild stuff, it also sounded like, there was something about him as a football man that was offended by the modern day game. Where he's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, these, you know, these guys, all these coaches are governed by fear and all this stuff with analytics. Like, this is almost like when Don Nelson got the general manager job with the Mavericks after the black dudes ran him off in New York, the big <laughs> black dudes in particular. And Don Nelson was like, never again. Yeah. Never again. <laughs> Right, that's old school. It's old school, and the number of Don uh, Nelson players who were taller than Don Nelson, there uh, really weren't that many of them. He said, never again. But Ursay, I don't know what Frank Wright was telling him, but Ursay, like, yo, we ain't going to be no punks out here. We yeah. about to go hard. Yeah, I, I think so. If I said that there was a history of issue with his football decision-making, that's not what I believe at all. Yeah, yeah I, I just want to that, be clear Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. I think that Jim Ursay, as a character, it's someone who yes. like this fits with that more than it fits with like sharp football mind. This fits yes. with um, Jim Ursay, erratic decision maker, even when you hear the story of it. And so there's <laughs> one thing that that I think we always do is like we want to hear, especially us like media types and and like not just media types, just general people who consider themselves intelligent and gone to college and done whatever like you want to hear a process you don't want to hear somebody say i got a feeling (laughs) however jim ursay and according to jeff's the things that jeff told me and the things that jeff told the media is jim ursay had a feeling if he had a plan he ain't tell (laughs) jeff about it until the morning before so like that it's hard to be like it's really easy. And, and to be fair, like, I know how funny it is. And I know it seems like I'm being judgmental in the decision process. I, I like have like I have relationships with people who like run major companies. And one of the things one of the big companies, a retired CEO told me one of the things that he regrets is he wishes that he learned to trust his gut sooner. And I was floored. I was shocked because there is nothing more that like he's said early in his career. He followed. Uh, like what the numbers told him. He followed what his analysis and advisors told him. And he said the more he got away from that and started to trust his gut, the better his decisions were. And I was like, that sounds ridiculous and absurd because that is also the foundation for all really terrible decisions. But it also like the innovative, really smart decisions that like are really change the world products and change the world decisions those things are never obvious and those things are never things that you'll find based on following where the data suggests. The data is always going to push you to continue along the status quo. So I'm not saying this as an advocate for following your gut, but I'm saying that sometimes the gut got the right answer. And it's again, it's maybe just my personal hope that Jim Ursay's gut is right this time. Cause I love Jeff, but it's possible. And when you hear him do the press conference, 
not even the press conference as much as it was the day after the media availability. He got that stuff down, man. He got how to talk to people down. I can't, I can guarantee you that those players felt good after he left the meeting room. I can guarantee you that they felt the coaches felt empowered after he met with all of them. And I think to my first point, that's the hard part about coaching. So it's the easy stuff is like, and I know it sounds silly, but making those fourth down decisions, like that's easy. Research can tell you that, you know, but the the one thing that coaches can do, so like you can do a job a bunch of different ways. You can delegate a whole bunch of the stuff. Even the in-game fourth down decisions, they got analytics guys who are talking in their ear. Like you can delegate all that stuff. The one thing you can't delegate is face of the organization, culture, development type of stuff. Only the head coach or the head coach has a disproportionate amount of influence on that. And Jeff's going to be good at that. He can push all this other stuff to other people and start to gobble up more power later, but he's going to be good at that part. Yeah, like I think what you're basically saying is the margins on good to great is how well you do hitting all 16. Yep. Right. Like if you play blackjack and that 16 is in front of you, that's always a, what exactly do I do here? Right. Mm-hmm. How well you do that day hitting on 16. Sometimes it's going to be feel. You know what I'm saying? You wind up going there. And actually, some of that stuff actually winds up being somewhat data supported. Right. It's just you got to go to the next step of the data to understand the particularity of the situation. Because you're right. If you just roll with the percentages, then you're going to get the expectation. And sometimes in order to get this done, you have to exceed the expectation one way or another. I was listening to you say that, and I was likening it to uh, when I play Wordle. Do you play Wordle? Yeah. Do you play the same word to start every day? Yeah. I do not. No fun. Like, what's your, what's your starter word? So I switch it up, but they're always the same. It's, it's, um, it's fundamentally the same word. It's like leery or weary, something uh-huh. with A's and E's. And a Y, because there are lots of five-letter words that end in Y that if I hit that Y off the bat, we're narrowing it down. Yeah. Now, I typically want to go with two vowels, right? Yeah. But I'm not going with the same two vowels any day in large part because that's just not really that much fun. And this Mm -hmm. is how you wind up getting the two every now and then. Now, of course, I wind up hitting the six every now and then also, right? But it, I, I'm not playing a do every time. I'm not playing right. least every time. I'm not playing, you know, any of those words that stare or whatever. I'm not going there every time. And it really just is entirely on feel, right? But I know, or maybe I'm overthinking, but I feel like they know we all going to play yeah. least or I do. And so the words might flip up a little bit on it, right? But the strict percentages say to go one way. The question sometimes on those strict percentages is whether the margins make it such that you should not feel comfortable taking a risk, right? Like the difference between you playing least and me playing Argon today to start, mm-hmm. it actually might not be that high when you do it yeah. all in some total. But it's like it's like it's like when you put in in the in the navigation app directions to go somewhere, and it might give you different directions every day. But when you pull up the list of all the directions, the difference might be a minute. Yeah. two minutes on a 30 minute drive right you, you see what i'm saying yeah um it's, it's not worth it yeah so like the the idea of when it is to trust your gut or trust your feeling it just becomes a lot easier to do that when you own the whole goddamn thing yeah. like when your man was talking about he wished he had trust his gut more no nah, he probably did it right because he was still in a position to get fired right, right? jim ursay is just like oh well we just won't be good at football but then we'll get a good pick yeah can it can i call for a plate of music yes Thank you for your patience. 
a representative from the right time will be with you shortly. Your current hold time is 15 seconds. Yeah, so I just wanted I wanted to let you know the 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 credibility that I'm coming with, but the bottom line is it's about what you can and can't measure. And some people like to believe that they can measure everything. And I think instinctively, I'm one of those people that wants to be able to measure things and have a decision based on the data, but what you have to understand is just cuz you you can't measure it doesn't mean it doesn't exist and doesn't mean it doesn't have an impact or a long, larger impact on the things that you can measure. And what I'm talking about is like the social impact and like emotional value and like goodwill. That stuff, you can't measure how important that is, but it's sometimes more important than whatever metrics that you are, are um, drawing on. I, I remember when I think it was Brandon Staley was all those fourth downs in his first yeah. year and everybody's like, this is crazy. And he was like, I'm trying to create a mentality. And like, maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong, but I understand that. Like, that is real. Creating a mentality around your organization is something real and it's something that you, that is much more valuable than uh, a win probability point earned yeah. by a fourth down decision here or there. It's the fundamental thing the dorks don't understand about running the ball. <laughs> yep. Right? Like, you can give me every number in the world. I can just stop and imagine. So what's it like to be standing there as somebody just push you over, over and over, run through a more face, you know, like, 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 hey, man, like this, yeah. this is what it is. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. I also just want to take a brief moment. I wish you guys recognized that while that music played, the greatest flex in the history of the right time took place. Like, I went to dinner last night with a very rich man. How rich was this man? This man live in a building that got its own steakhouse in it. And I don't mean like, oh, here's the building and right next to it is the STK. No, I mean the building got its own steakhouse that only they can eat at. Okay? 
only that and, and the food was excellent full mm-hmm. dessert menu all that stuff right and that man ain't got nothing on the rich that dominique just flexed on us when nobody could hear it salute uh. i i'm trying to figure out why it is that you know you ain't put them down with nobody else you know what i'm saying like <laughs> i mean i i'm always down to put them down <laughs> like i it's just i i think it's there are people who have power and influence that is a degree or two away from us, in which case it's useful. And then there are people who have power and influence that are 12 degrees away from and us. you can't do nothing with it. And I can't do nothing with that other than talk to him and get some advice every now and then. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I thought, like, man, he could help me here and there. But no, he actually can't. No, <laughs> like, no. No, you know, like, or like he could, but not today. He's just a little busy, yeah. you know. Just got, just got a couple other things uh, that he needs to do. But I'm glad that we're at the point now with the Saturday thing where people have gone off of their default reactions, and we could actually talk about some of the things that are legitimately interesting about it. Because to me, it wasn't the not hiring somebody with any experience as much as an in-season uh, interim external hire that was that was so wild to me right but somehow and i don't know why saturday getting that job and maybe it's because i i don't know him but you know maybe Mm -hmm. it's because of my familiarity with him that didn't feel nearly as absurd as josh mccown to the texans but i also think that didn't feel nearly as absurd because the colts aren't nearly as absurd as the texans on gp fair and like i think the most absurd thing that actually took place is the cliff kingsbury hire like yes. that that's the one and maybe the extension is even more absurd like so uh, you want to uh, i well, i'm King, not the as, problem with kingsbury was he had experience and that made you think this was a bad idea exactly that's like even worse like i recognize the racial component of this decision it's i got a good laugh out of it because i was thinking damn john fox for like a hot second felt what it felt like to be black for just a hot second and that made me chuckle a little bit <laughs> but i also like yeah jim Irsay's hired black coaches in the past but this particular leap and i know it's not a great job and i know it could embarrass somebody's resume or whatever but it's a huge leap that changes the way jeff is perceived from this point going forward and could that ever happen to a black person no is it likely to happen to a white person no, but it's much more likely to happen to a white person than is a black person. And I think for, it's it's worth acknowledging that we don't got to bang our drum and act all wild, but it's worth acknowledging that. And I, Jeff, I told it to Jeff and he knew it. I, my first text to him, like, this is the most white privilege thing I ever seen in my life. Congratulations, <laughs> my brother. <laughs> you know what, though, it's kind of funny about this. And I've, I've rattled this in my brain and I'm gonna give you the order that I went in. There is a certain element of Ursay doing this that is a very black people move to make. And the reason why I say it's a very black people move to make is Ursay can't really do it like this because he's too familiar with the world we're in. But hey, man, we'll get anybody a job we think we could. Hey, man, if any white folks could do it, you could do it. Why don't you go ahead and get at a try? You know, because we got to get in where we fit in regardless. Yeah. You know, like there's, there's something to that. Like, hey, Mr. Ursa, you think I could do this? Man, any white folks could do it. Jeff, so can you. Oh, okay, you're right. And then Jeff goes in and gets that job. 
there there is like a little bit of that element but the truth is white people be doing this kind of stuff all the time it's just normally the owner's kid case in point Jim Irsay becoming the general manager of an NFL team right exactly. like there yeah. like that's what Jim Irsay was doing he was passing on the other level of privilege <laughs> to somebody who didn't have it already like yeah. little did we know that man was actually trying to share the wealth <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I, I I do think, though, and I know that I've listened to you, obviously, and I know that you feel like this could be a stain on someone's resume, which it certainly could be. It could also you could mess around and win a couple games because I thought the Colts were going to win this division. So, like, this team is not completely bereft of talent. They could be competitive. But even if you lose all eight games, as long as you don't embarrass yourself, the point is the leap that Jeff took is a leap that establishes him no matter what happens from here on out. Jeff Saturday's a head football coach. Yeah. And if he want to get back into coaching, he skipped a whole lot of steps, That's which fair. I don't have a problem with, but it's something that a black coach would never get. They would never get this, this stamp of approval or a black person. Cause Jeff's not a coach right. <laughs> until, until yesterday. <laughs> it's something that we would not get. And so that's the value. And he's going to come back. If he comes back to TV, he's going to come back to TV with a, a lot more cachet. Yeah. They're going to have to triple his salary. And that's the type <laughs> of stuff that like, you just don't get. When and he's going to be out coach. there like as a coach and you know, coach a <laughs> title you get for life. Oh, like all I the still time. call my high school coach coach. You know what I'm saying? Like Jeff said, it's kind of like when you the president just said yep. that dude, you know what? This might be kind of like, you remember um, when Obama got elected president and then the governor of Illinois was about to go to jail yep. and he had to appoint the new senator and he went and got some brother named Roland. I don't remember anything. I think it's Roland Burris. That may be it. But he went and got that dude. That man is Senator Burris for the rest <laughs> of forever. That man walking through the airport wearing his senator stuff just like John Randall when I saw him at the airport wearing his Hall of Fame stuff because all them dudes <laughs> always wear their them dudes wear they Hall of Fame stuff around like my daddy used to wear around the horn t-shirts to the barbershop. <laughs> they are proud baby they are proud and jeff saturday now we got to call him coach well coach let's let's ask you this thing but you're right it does give him that it's not a leap that a black person couldn't make it's a leap that a black person of jeff saturday's stature couldn't make because if john harbaugh got fired tomorrow and they told us that ray lewis was going to be the coach to finish out the season our response would not have been but wait, he's never been a coach. It would be, well, you know, he's never been a coach, but he is Ray Lewis, right? Nobody so? nobody in public was going to say that about uh, the Jeff Saturday comparison. Like, let me think of a guy that's kind of similar. Uh, what was Dion. Well, I mean, when I, I, I yeah, felt no, like. No, I'm yeah. thinking about what was my man's name? Like, Jason Brown. Didn't he used to play center for the Ravens and make a few mm-hmm. Pro Bowls? Yeah. If they're like, yo, everybody loves Jason Brown, man. Like, no, this this kind of makes sense. Nah, 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 nah. That's yeah. not going to happen with him. But like Ray Lewis or Ed, you say Ed Reed, if Ed Reed had no experience and they yeah. gave Ed Reed that job, we'd be like, hey, let's see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, and, and Ed has coaching experience. And yeah. so, I mean, maybe this opens the door. And to be completely clear, outside of like being a lawyer or a surgeon, like I personally believe that smart person who's willing to work hard can get good at something quick. The challenge for Jeff is he don't got quick. <laughs> they ain't even give him quick. It's like, hey, tomorrow, show your ass up in here. Here's your key card. <laughs> Run this show. So we're going to see what happens for him. But I think, yeah, I'm rooting for him. And I, I think he can figure it out as long as 
is the big question I think is how much buy-in is he going to create? I think the players, it's not easy, but I think it's easy for him to motivate the players and get them to buy-in the coaching staff, because he needs, he's going to need a lot of help there with the actual in-game coaching stuff. If those guys are going to buy in and work hard for Jeff, I think everything else Jeff will be able to handle and manage well. Which coach go walk in there and be like, it's not what I wanted. <laughs> I was passed over. Oh, man. I can handle things. Oh, God. I'm Father. smart. Everybody acts like I'm, like, I'm smart. People treat me like I'm, like I'm not, like I'm dumb. And I'm smart. And I want respect. Who's the guy walking into work saying that? It don't matter. They're going to put that man on a boat immediately. Yeah, yeah, no, that's what it Jeff, is. Jeff. I can handle things. I'm smart. Not like everybody says. Like dumb. I'm smart. And I want respect. He was hot, boy. Fredo, Fredo, Fredo was, that was hot. That was well done. I didn't know you had that in you. That was yeah, well done. I broke but, that out on Dan a few years ago. And they used it as a sounder. That's, that, I don't have a lot of impressions in me, right? <laughs> but that one right there, I have. They, like there's somebody else. You're right. That's that's who he's gonna have to get on board. He got to come in there and be like, "Hey, man, he asked, and I said yes." You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Be a hater, not a congratulator. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. Dig? Hey, exactly. hey, Gus, Gus, you good, Gus? You straight? If you had less experience, guess Gus Bradley, great example. If you had less experience, you might have got this job. <laughs> you wouldn't be scared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But unfortunately. <laughs> The, uh, Mr. Ursay does senior movies and he did not want to see a sequel. <laughs> Jeff need to just come in and just fire somebody off top like they did Fredo. Just drive him out there, make an example. Bah. Oh, like Steve Wilkes did? When Steve Wilkes yeah, walked Steve in there Wilkes. and fired the defensive coordinator, job one. Uh, man, did he? He fired somebody else too. Uh, he fired a defensive coordinator and I think it was another defensive coach. assistant. And apparently... Oh. And apparently they had some fun, shall we say, philosophical disagreements as the season had gone on. Uh -huh. But they could have, I mean, their defense was bad and they very easily could have fired Rule and the defensive coordinator at the same time. But I feel like Wilkes was like, nah, sh nah, shorty, let me do that. <laughs> Come on in, yeah. Phil. Nah, 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 excuse me, Tepper. Leave that one for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, oh, nah, nah, you shouldn't have to do that. I'm a man, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like I gotta, I gotta do this myself. And so he went ahead, he went ahead, he went ahead, he did that. He put the black dude at quarterback, and it was all, it was all that popping. You think Brady could go to New England after Belichick retires and and just coach right out? Yeah. Right out the um. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why he would do that. Actually, I do know why he would do that because he's he's. He's him, and I, I mean, I don't know why he came back either time, and it, just like you got that competitiveness in you, which I, I consider myself a competitive person, but I don't got it like Tom got it. His life got too hard for him. I mean, got too hard for me to keep going back to do this. I find something <laughs> else to do fast, man. <laughs> uh, Tom, damn, man. This isn't what he thought it was going to be. <laughs> he thought the game was going to go differently. He you hear um correct. You hear like there's speculation and it's just rumor now, but I mean I'm willing to believe it after what Tom's done so far is that he's gonna end up in San Francisco uh next year, which why would San Francisco want that? <sighs> because he's good. Like he's not he's he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo by a lot. 
there. If, <laughs> yeah, that's why they will want that. Is that if their problem is when you get down, you you don't have a quarterback that can bring you back or lead you on a game winning drive. If that's your problem, Tom Brady is a pretty damn good answer to that. Hold up, hold up, hold up, though, black man. Have you already forgotten about Trey Lance? Trey Lance I- over there, like. <laughs> Like, y'all don't think I could do better than what he doing? Yeah, I think he could do better than what um, Garoppolo doing. I was, I'm big on Trey Lance. I want him to succeed, uh, and I think he can. And I think that offense will be impressive if you add a running component to it. However, drop Tom Brady into a situation with weapons and protection and a good defense, that's a whole different recipe. Well, well yeah, I mean, it was when he was 44. I don't know what it will be when he's 46. But this actually touches on something that I wanted to mention about the Colts, and it will bring me back to the NFC mm-hmm. West. As skeptical as you and I both are of the Sam Ellinger experience with the Colts, it is not clear that he is the worst starting quarterback in that division right now. And it's not even clear that he is the second worst because the starting quarterbacks in that division right now, okay, and this is right now is important. Malik Willis, Mm. uh, Davis Mills, Mm. Trevor Lawrence, Mm. and Sam Ellinger. Mm. Like, yeah, there actually is a chance that this could get, uh, get a little sneaky. Now, let's go to the NFC West. And who thought that Geno Smith would be far in a way the best quarterback in that division. And then we're looking at Kyler Murray, um, Matthew Stafford, who it's always funny to watch people when they decide to actually remember Matthew, what Matthew Stafford was, right? And I saw Graziano wrote something calling him the most overrated quarterback in the league. And I'm like, where has everybody been when I've been saying this for yeah. all this time? Um, and then there's a Garoppolo, Matthew Stafford, and then Kyler Murray, which I don't really know what to do with because there's the cliff factor, but there's also the Kyler Murray factor. I don't, yeah. I don't know where to separate and put the blame in there. But the 49ers, I get this to Shanahan. He got a setup there where I feel like they're always going to have a good defense. Mm-hmm. Like the personnel, one way or another, the personnel is always going to be straight and they're going to give you that steady baseline as long as the coordinator is good and they've had two excellent coordinators back to back. But man... Putting Tom Brady out there, I don't, I don't, don't, man. I don't, I mean, that's where he's from, and I get, I don't know why we always do that. Like, people want to go back home. Uh, as somebody who played in their hometown, it ain't that great. <laughs> like, yeah, but, but you didn't grow, you did not grow yeah. up rooting for that team. Yeah, I didn't. That's fair. I didn't, they, we didn't get a team till I was in high school, and I was already worried about my own career. And also, like, getting girls. I was not about to become a Ravens fan at, uh, at 15. Um, but uh, I do think what I mean, the biggest question I, I could get my I could wrap my head around why the team would want them would want him like I get it makes sense. He showed that he, you can parachute him into a good situation and win a Super Bowl. Like and I I'm willing to accept that he's not as talented as he was a couple years ago. But when I watch these games, he's still making throws that seem really impressive. And I could see wrapping my head around, all right, let's make this run one year. What I can't wrap my head around, and this is why, like, a lot of us former athletes get these jobs at ESPN and places because people believe that we can get into the mind of the athlete and tell you what the athlete is thinking. I can for some athletes, but some of us are just different. And I, <laughs> I, and I think part of it is what makes some of these guys, like, all-time greats. It's, I think I've told you this story before. We, I remember clearly we had a Thursday night game when I was in Baltimore. 
my first year there and we were going to Cleveland for a Thursday night game on a short week. And we were in the tunnel before we head out on the field and everyone boos us or whatever. And we're just in the tunnel and we're all like just kind of milling about like kind of half getting hype. But we're playing Cleveland. We know we're going to win. It's not a big deal. And I'm in the tunnel just like, all right, let's go do this. Like it's workmanlike. All right, we got a job to do. And I look over and see number 52 with tears in his eyes. And he is getting hype, like so hype. And he started telling us about how we're in a primetime game and the people in uh, in Baltimore care so much about this. Like when we play well, it impacts the crime stats. It's like we plan for people's lives. And like I'm looking at him like that's why you you and I'm me because a random Thursday I'm going to play hard. I'm going to prepare. I'm not going to be lackadaisical, but I cannot whip myself up into a frenzy. And it didn't feel like he was whipping himself up into a frenzy. It felt like he is always a step away from that. And that's what it takes, like not to take anything away from his athletic ability, all that too, but the mental part, that's something special. And I feel like Tom Brady is like that also, because why else would you keep doing this? If you just like, you just not normal. Physically or mentally, you just not normal. Dude, you just helped make sense of one of my favorite interviews of all time. During the lockout, Sal Paolo Antonio yeah. did an interview with Ray Lewis. And Ray Lewis was talking about the need to stop, you know, to shut the lockout down. And he said to Sal, watch what happens if you take away their game. He's like, what's going to happen? Evil. What you call crime. And Sal said, why would there be crime? Because there's nothing else to do. Yep. And he was so serious and he was so charged up. And I thought that was just something he had come up with that day to say out there. I didn't realize that this had been an established permanent ethos uh, of Ray Lewis about the importance of who they were as uh football players in the way i know he wasn't whipping himself into a frenzy in the tunnel as you said is i remember how dead dog serious he was when he talked yeah. about that evil which you call crime was gonna hit the streets i haven't looked up this correlation statistics i mean i guess theoretically people are in the house watching big games so they're not outside doing ridiculous things but either way i I don't know. I can't get myself there mentally and emotionally. That's all. That's all I'm saying is like there's a difference between some of us who are like, like really good. Like, I mean, great as far as athleticism is concerned in like the general population, like uh, uh, just random guys off the street, like anybody who made it to the NFL is incredible. But then the guys who are incredible amongst those guys, they not built for nothing else. You know, like they not built for nothing else but this. And Tom Brady, one of them. So if anybody ever asked me, so what is from a player's perspective, what is Tom Brady thinking? Like, no, I don't know. You <laughs> ask, ask me what, what uh, some like run of the mill starter is thinking. I got that for you. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me what the greatest of all time, possibly the greatest defensive defensive player and, and Ray Lewis and the greatest <laughs> quarterback of all. Ask me what they thinking. I don't know. I like it's like asking what Stevie Wonder thinking when he writes music. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't you don't have the answer, right? You can't you can't. Wow, you know people. You know it's Foxworth Friday. We record this on Thursday. 
Damn. Falcons and the Panthers. Yikes. Jeff Bezos got to put that on sale. <laughs> I need to start asking for a discount on my prime. Uh, oh my if, that, if that's what they're going to be doing. Right fast. You see this where uh, Pete Carroll took another passive aggressive shot at Russell Wilson talking about Geno having the armband and how, yeah, we've had some pushback on that in the past. And then they asked Russell Wilson about it. Hey, we, we won a lot of games without a wristband. I'm like, damn, man, how is this never ending? It's so sad and so petty. Uh, I think like the modern version of this in the dating world is like those passive aggressive like uh, Instagram posts mm -hmm. where you start writing a, instead of putting up a, a picture. It's a notes app. Uh, it's like inspirational about what's behind yes. you don't matter yes. and what's in front of you. Like, get out of here with that Pete and Russ. <laughs> like, don't nobody care about y'all. Y'all drama. Move on. By the way, before we go, I'm looking at the games that, that we're going to get this week. Because if we'll be honest, we've gotten some boo-boo slates of games uh, very recently. And quite honestly, we got another boo-boo slate this week. Because we got some teams that were supposed to be good that aren't playing in some pretty prime positions. Talking to you, Green Bay, against Dallas at 425. Uh, but we do have the Vikings who every now and then there's a team with a really good record that nobody thinks is good. And I saw the DVOA stats where they have like one of the worst DVOAs ever, like total DVOA of any team uh, that through this many games to be seven and one through eight games. Mm -hmm. But they going up there to play against Buffalo. And the Kirk Cousins versus Josh Allen Bowl when it's Bomani becomes a very, very, very interesting thing. And I will say this. I came all the way around yeah. on Josh Allen. Not yeah. that other guy. I just was like, wow, he's a capable NFL starter, and I never thought that was possible. I was wrong, okay? Dog, I don't know what I'll do if it's a Josh Allen, Kirk Cousins shootout where they both <laughs> out here dueling. I have, to, I, I have to be like one of these famous people and shut down my Twitter account and blame it on Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that was – it was a Thursday night game a few years ago where – it was Jared Goff and Kirk Cousins, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And they was lighting it up, throwing <laughs> passes. And they were like impressive passes. It was like all of their best throws. They saved them for one game. And it was one night of mediocre to below mediocre quarterbacks out there just going crazy. But this won't be that. I mean, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see what they do with Josh Allen, though, because I don't know much about how the UCL affects um, quarterbacks. Yeah. But you need that man healthy. So whatever you got to do to keep him healthy, they better do that. And he been out here, he would make bad decisions. Like you and I yeah. talk about it. He'll give the other team a chance and people just yeah. kind of ignore. I think I heard you talk about this um, on Debatable, that people just ignored the times that he was putting the ball in somebody else's hands. And I guess it was just such a hot potato uh, <laughs> that they weren't able to catch it. Yeah. But now, nah, I mean, if his if he can't throw it, you know, like reasonably close to being Josh Allen, then mm -hmm. they're finished. Like, this is a really good team with a whole lot of players, but they got, like, it's wild when I think about how toward the other side I have come or have been coming with Josh Allen, mm -hmm. but he, he the coldest one that they done rolled off the line just in terms of talent, and I'm talking about, like, specifically white quarterbacks because we've talked yeah. about this many times. There's been, there was a decade-long drought of America producing white quarterbacks worth a damn. It really was only like one or two. I'm not exaggerating. Go look it up from the 2000, go look up from the Aaron Rodgers draft in 2005. After that, up until the Josh Allen draft 2018 and go look at what happened in between. It's like Matt Ryan, Joe Flacco, Andrew Luck and Ryan Tannehill. Otherwise you're just really getting a whole lot of boo-boo that has come through the league, right? Like this is what it is. Josh Allen, 
I get out there and now that I really look and now that he's got the confidence and all of that stuff, I'm like, bruh, what, how often have we seen something like this? And the answer is rarely. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, they got a Cam Newton who is like, uh, better than Cam Newton at his best. Like that, they don't roll him off the line, as you mentioned, and they got him now. Um, he's so good that he's become, uh, like indispensable for that team. The difference between him and Patrick Mahomes is the, like, the like risky plays, whereas Patrick Mahomes is a bit more like Aaron Rodgers in that he can do crazy stuff routinely without turning the ball over. Um, Josh Allen ain't that guy. He gonna he gonna turn it over, but he gonna make up for those turnovers and then some with incredible plays. But the problem is when you have a game where he gonna turn it over, but he don't have them same makeup plays in that game, they might lose and. Yeah. Uh, I mean, every this is the thing about Josh Allen, about every quarterback. Every quarterback has weaknesses. We can't pretend like they're all perfect. Josh Allen's weakness was his accuracy, and now it's kind of like occasional lapses in decision-making. That one interception in the flat where he's rolling out, and he just like, I I don't even know if I want to call that decision-making. It's like colorblindness or something. He just yeah. threw it right to a guy. It's like weird. Hey, man, I tell you this, though. Shout out to Sauce. I think he the one that got that. Oh, I, I root. You know why I root for Sauce? Because I want that boy to get a second contract. I saw that chain and piece that that boy had on at the draft, and that boy needs to get a second contract. <laughs> I could be wrong here, but I, I I get the feeling that this is a gentleman that has already assumed that uh-huh. the second contract is going to come one day, and he is going to receive it. And God, I hope he does. I really, 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 really do hope he does. By the way, before we go, I just ask you this because you know this is your world. Um, is Stingley playing as well as him this year for what you've seen? No, not as well. I mean, Sauce is in a better situation. We're all dependent. Sauce is in a better situation, but Stingley isn't playing as good as him. I feel like DJ Reed, the opposite side of Sauce, another young quarter that came from Seattle, he's not getting a lot of credit because Sauce is really good, but um, he's playing surprisingly well. But Stingley down there in uh, Houston is, is tough. I don't think he's playing nearly as well as Sauce. But about the second contract thing, I think that goes to the mentality because, you know, when you buy a chain like that before you even got your first contract, when you already know, yeah, you, you already know. And that's something, again, I can't jump into sauces at brain and tell you how it works because that's not how I was thinking. I ain't buy nothing until I got a contract. (laughs) Like, yo, you better be good, son. That's the way I look at it. We going to call you sauce, like to the point where everybody call you sauce. You must be that dude. Right. Because we are not obligated to indulge that nonsense. Uh, You must be good. But hey, that is Dominique Foxworth. Check him out on the Dominique Foxworth show available wherever you get your podcast. Check him out on Anscape. Check him out on Get Up. Check him out on Debatable. Check him out just all over the place, man. I appreciate you, sir. Always, man. All right, man. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. Remember to hit the voicemail line, 860-516-4119. Tell us about that time the game was cheating, 860-516-4119. We got Dan Stancic, Parker Owens, and Adi Khan handling things behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Remember, follow The Right Time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. 
Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.